0: This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield.
1: Hello and welcome back to the latest Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm Matt Addison, alongside me both Paul Gorst and Sean Bradbury here as we take a look back at all the latest Liverpool stories from this week. It might be the international break, but there's plenty of those to dive into as we talk Joe Gomez and Trent Alexander-Arnold's injury setbacks and what comes next for Jurgen Klopp. We'll also touch on the move to the new AXA training centre as the Reds leave Melwood behind and take a general look at the state of football after COVID, where the players are being asked too much of their bodies at the current time. First of all though, Paul and Sean, how are you both getting on?
2: Not bad. We're a week through the international break, aren't we? So um, we're getting there, slowly but surely. But uh got to admit, I'm looking forward to next week's pod when we're previewing Leicester rather than... Um, the
0: other one where we're slap bang in the middle of it. Yeah, I'd agree with Gorsley on that. I'm, I'm still feeling slightly guilty as well because I logged on on Wednesday night kind of hoping for just quite a nice quiet international shift and I didn't articulate this. I don't think I told anyone that, but in my own head, I'm now thinking I jinxed it and uh, brought that injury upon poor Joe Gomez. But, um, but yeah, that, like Gorsley says, hopefully um, everyone else stays fit, stays firing and uh, we, next week we can look ahead to the real stuff again.
1: Yeah, you're not the only one who thinks you've jinxed him. I was actually writing a piece as it broke, just writing the words about how good he'd been, how fantastic he was and then it all came out, didn't it? But uh, yeah, we will start with that. No ACL damage, Paul, for Joe Gomez, but it does look like he's going to be out for a a significant proportion of the season at the very least. It's the latest unfortunate injury for him on England duty.
2: It is. He's had some terrible luck, hasn't he, with England. I mean, at, at, I'm right in saying I think he's had less than, than 20 caps and he, he suffered, was it, three serious injuries now with England? Um, it's just come at the worst possible time, hasn't it? And um, I, I mean, listening to Gareth Celtic last night when he said it's basically a product of too many games, and you're, looking and you're looking at this England game you're thinking it's a friendly that's been rearranged. It wasn't even meant to be Ireland. It was meant to be New Zealand. New Zealand backed away because of the amount of COVID cases in the UK. Um, so then England basically had a free day. Um, but rather than choking it up and saying, you know what, let's just leave it and crack on and give the players a little bit of a rest, they've had this TV kind of contract that they've had to fulfil. So they've organised a quick one with Ireland. And Gomez has become injured as a result of it. And I think it was, just, was it John Egan. He came off injured with a, with a head injury. So, you know, he might be OK for Sheffield. United, but I'm sure... Chris Wilder wasn't too happy with that either. And um was was that game with no fans really needed to be played last night? For me, no. Um you can't convince me that it was. Um I had a few people on Twitter telling me that well, I actually had one person on Twitter telling me that it was needed so Southgate could kind of juggle as his, his options ahead of the Euros, not even ahead of the, the Nations League games later this week or next week. Just a, just a game that wasn't needed at a time when football's calendar's been condensed, um, something has to give um, you know the amount of games that the players are being asked to play in an even more condensed schedule than ever, something has to give and, and the authorities have got to kind of come to some sort of compromise because at the moment no one's willing to, everyone's paying their service to it, but no one seems to be willing to to, to give or take a fixture here or there um, and this is unfortunately what we're going to get throughout the season players pulling up injured, they're are going to range from a month out like Trent Alexander-Arnold to more serious ones like Gomez and and Virgil van Dijk?
1: Yeah, I mean, anyone, (coughs) myself included, who watched the uh, England game last night, I'm sure Gareth Southgate didn't learn anything from it. It was a, a pretty routine win. Not much came out of it. And I suppose that is the frustration, Sean, that it was an unnecessary sort of preparation time that Joe Gomez was going through for a friendly. Obviously, that injury... Could have come in liverpool training it could have been one that was just unfortunate but it is just so many matches at the moment it it feels inevitable doesn't
0: it yeah and i thought um southgate's comments the day before as well when he he did the pre-match press conference and he was actually discussing the initial injury to to gomez and that was being put out there for the first time when he was talking about the calendar then i thought he was quite scathing it it, he is in a difficult position like like ghostly said you know there will be some people in the england setup um you know fans who, who do follow the the international scene closely uh and that's their you know main, main point of support and I guess the players as well i mean i think that's one thing when you know we, we are we are quite liverpool focused and i think i can probably speak for most of the liverpool fan base when i say liverpool is the main priority and england is a is a very very distant one if if a priority whatsoever but you know i suppose the players do Really take a value in playing for their for their countries, uh, you know, and we, we often do probably have to remember that and, and not gloss over it. But yeah, in in this instance, it's it's very hard to justify why this game is going on. And I, I don't think Southgate could quite bring himself to say this in itself was a meaningless friendly, but I did think the the kind of tone of his comments was spot on. The way he just took aim really at governing bodies and authorities and just said they haven't they haven't joined up their thinking this season when you look back to the summer and, and there was a real opportunity to do so. I think the players have been let down fundamentally, um, and and it was it was quite telling as as he just said that that he did seem to directly attribute this injury of Gomez to to there being too many games. The fact that the England manager said that is it, very telling. Um, but yeah, just just on Gomez, I, I I always find it remarkable how how young he is because in in so many ways, obviously in, in terms of how decorated he is, he's a Premier League and Champions League winner, still only 23 years of age. I think he's. He's racked up about 120, 121 appearances for Liverpool, I think it is. So, given his position, you know, that, that's no mean feat. But given the amount of games he's he's so sadly and unfortunately missed with with his various knocks, which I think it's, it's probably four or five major injuries, isn't it, really? You'd have to say, looking back to the, the ACL um, ankle issues and surgery you had to have around that, that that lower leg fracture against Bailey, I think it was, wasn't it? And he had an Achilles tendon issue as well. And that's the thing that they all seem... Very separate things, which which all add to the total kind of sense of misfortune around it. You know, it's not a not a repeated pattern. In, in this instance, it's not even the same leg, is it? Um, it's not not the same knee that that's had the issue. So yeah, it's just it's just so unlucky. And I think every Liverpool final will just be hoping that recovery goes as well as it can. And um, I think I've seen some projections saying if things go right with this type of injury, the, the patellar tendon, it can be like four to six months obviously it's so hard to put a time scale on something you don't know how someone's going to heal and how the surgery is going to set and everything but I think there was one point as well made by Doily in a piece he's written over the last day or so about this you know Gomez and Van Dijk are are two very close colleagues aren't they you know you always hear them talk highly of each other they're a great partnership at the back for Liverpool when we've seen them on the pitch I think in, in one sense it's not a positive at all but you know at least they've got each other now on the road to recovery and they can you know do, do what Brewster and Oxley chamberlain did when they were kind of in the gym together and spare each other on to, to get back as quickly as possible. So, yeah, we can only hope really that, that it comes around as quickly as it can.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We, of course, wish both of them all the best. Liverpool not putting at a timescale on either Van Dijk or Gomez so far. But Fabinho is on the way back, Paul. Joel Matip is there for now, at least. He is fit. Reese Williams and, and Nat Phillips have both been there as well. Are there reasons for optimism for liverpool at centre-back or do you think this is a, a real major concern now
2: uh you, you you can't gloss over it it's huge isn't it Liverpool without what many would consider the two best centre-backs um i'd, I'd probably make the case for massive over gomez um at the moment because i think matter when he's played he's been really solid but um no joe gomez is huge and obviously we all know how massive it is not having Virgil van Dijk. but um I've been impressed with Nat Phillips, you know, when I, when I saw him come into the team against West Ham, I thought he was excellent and probably Liverpool's man of the match, all things considered. Um, Reese Williams is a little bit of a different one, he's five years younger, or four years younger than, than Nat Phillips, who's actually, believe it or not, which might surprise some people older than Joe Gomez, so uh, Phillips, um, he's been okay at it, I think he'll probably just look to fill that like that now, um, until Fabinho comes back, but... Klopp was asked about Fabinho a couple of weeks ago and he said he'll be fine for after the international break. Now, that would lead many to assume he's going to be okay for Leicester, but knowing how Klopp is, Klopp could probably kind of get out of jail if Fabinho isn't by saying, look, I said he's going to be back after the international break, which he will be, just not for the Leicester game. So I wouldn't hang my hat on Fabinho being in there for Leicester, which for me would would mean then that Nat Phillips would have to step in and um, that'd be a tough task against Jamie Vardy. Vardy had looked to kind of, kind of play on him as 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 um, as best he could, wouldn't he? But uh, I think the fact that Liverpool would be at home for that game would make it a little bit easier for, for Nat Phillips. But uh, you can't gloss over it. It's it's huge. It's it's um, it's the the massive area for Liverpool. It has been for for weeks now, hasn't it? And and it's showing no signs of, of getting better. To be honest, so. Uh, it's uh, something that people are going to have to deal with as best they can. It's, it's something that could make or break their season, to be honest.
1: And, and on that point, Gorsdi, I'll come back to you on this. I mean, there's 11 matches until the January transfer window. Daryl Yamat was an option thrown about by some people yesterday as a, a potential short-term option. Do you think there's any chance at all of Liverpool doing that? Or do you think they've got enough to go between now and, and January, at least?
2: Yeah, I don't think a will um, love to bring in a free agent. I think... I mean, he's always hesitant to, to dip into the markets. The player's got to be absolutely perfect and, and the right profile, and normally involves months of, of um, scouting work behind the scenes. So I don't think he'd rip up that kind of blueprints for someone who's going to come in and play, you know, five five six games. I think he's he'd be happy enough playing Phillips there rather than bringing in a free agent, unless, the person who's available as a free is you know a, a top talent who's somehow being overlooked um so I, I don't foresee a situation where that again comes in for the bull. but um i think you know just from my own personal opinion i think he's definitely going to have to look at it in january if there were plans for a center back in in next uh, next summer i think that's going to be brought forward six months no question
1: one name, Sean, that has been thrown about again is Diot Upamecano from RB Leipzig. Is he one that you would be looking at, or is there any other sort of standout names that you think Liverpool potentially could go for?
0: I think someone like him or Ben White, you know, players with a with a profile. Who I think I was saying in the case of Ben White, we've written before that uh, he, he's he's been tracked by Liverpool and he's been looked at. I think the key thing, as as Goffy alluded to, is that a hasty decision isn't made and. I've no doubt that that will be the case Um, you know if if something could be progressed a plan that was already potentially going to be in place and brought forward to January uh, I, I think that's the best way to do it I, I think my view on it is, has changed slightly since the Gomez injury after Van Dijk was ruled out for, for so long I kind of thought there's, there's there's a way around this certainly to January and there might even be a way around it beyond January you know if you can still rely on Gomez if Matip's still there given how well Fabinho had stepped in as centre-back with the younger lads as options I've like been mentioned. Pop's even said, hasn't he, about his, his kind of radical alternative solutions that exist in the squad, like the idea of occasionally, obviously not for an extended run, but playing the likes of Henderson there, as he has done before. He mentioned Robertson could potentially fill in a left centre-back in a certain situation. He threw the names of Wijnaldum and Milner out there as well. But I, I do think this this changes things. Um but I'd, I'd still want Liverpool to try and only bring forward something that, that they kind of wanted to to look at next summer, really. Uh, that's a bit of a tough ask, though, isn't it? Because, you know, we, we know how the club operates. We know how the rec- recruitment strategy works. And, you know, deals only tend to be done if they tick the boxes and all of Michael Edwards' kind of criteria is met. Um, perhaps in the current climate, that that's possible. And, you know... Th- Feels like we saw over the summer, ones that were kind of structured over, over a certain amount of time could be done in January. Yeah, the, whether whether a stopgap measures needed as well. I suppose if there was ever a time where they were going to compromise on the way that they do things, it's this situation, isn't it? You know, if, if you wind back a few weeks, there's no way you'd have thought that Liverpool would lose both their centre-halves in, in such unfortunate circumstances as this. Um, and it would be a real shame if, if something like that, which... To a certain extent, I think, you know, especially in Gomez's case, you can attribute a little bit to the unique nature of the season and the condensed nature, nature of the calendar. If this was to stop Liverpool, a Liverpool team who's, you know, the, the best we've seen in decades, possibly even beyond that, if it was to stop them competing for top honours in the second half of the season and they didn't go for a stopgap, yeah, I think you would you would question that in the long term. I think it's difficult because there have been times in Klopp's reign where you've thought, He's taken a bit of a transfer gamble by not making a move in this window. I think centre-back have been a situation where that debate's been had before. I remember one January where Mane was off to the Africa Cup of Nations um, and it was a bit like, well, how, how are Liverpool going to get through this without him? They should sign someone now. And, you know, Klopp's point is always, well, you don't want to fill the squad with players who, who might then not get games. But that's the thing now, isn't it? You know, rotation is going to be such a key thing for this season. It is a unique season. so if you had someone who could potentially come in in January and in other circumstances they might only be a player who gets, you know, a dozen games or whatever, they might get even more this season because, you know, players are going to have had vast workloads. Um, the, the guys who are filling in now over this this really busy run, I think it is, what is it, 11 games in 38 days or 12 in 45 if you took it to the start of January before the FA Cup kicks in. Perhaps, perhaps it would be an easier sell to someone to come in as a stopgap and, and give them games, but... Yeah, there's no doubt that Liverpool have to have to do something in January, and hopefully it can be a, a plan that they would have looked at next summer. If they can accelerate and bring forward the blood red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
1: I suppose the only difficulty with that, Gorsty, is that someone like Upamecano would have a release clause next summer. That won't be the case in January. And if Liverpool are going to go and buy a centre back, I suppose 20 million or 30 million has just been added to that price tag because everyone knows now that Liverpool are fairly desperate to get somebody in.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think that that is a tricky situation for Liverpool to negotiate, isn't it? It's like when a team's just sold the player for big money and they're looking for a replacement. You know, clubs know that, you know, they just, They've got a certain amount of money to play around with, so it's um, that that will undoubtedly make things a little bit trickier. Which is why I don't think you'll see them panic in the market. I mean, we know that Liverpool don't really do that anyway. But um, I think, but I, I, I still think you know sometimes the 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 boat might have to be bitten, and Liverpool needs to kind of um, accept that there, there might be a little bit of a premium on it because of how short they are of, of numbers. But um, it remains to be seen whether Liverpool. We'll actually do that, but uh, yeah, as as I say, I do think if a centre back was being looked at um, for next summer, which uh, I, I I do believe that was the case, then I think it'll have to be brought forward six months. And um, I suppose what one upside of that is the adjusting period that players normally need when they come to the pool. By the time next season rolls around, they'll be fully up to speed.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, sure, we've seen a situation where Liverpool have had to plug different gaps. Obviously, Trent Alexander-Arnold is injured as as well at the moment. He's going to be out, well, at least another three weeks or so, we think. And James Milner has played there. You mentioned, you know, possibly someone like Wijnaldum or, or Henderson could drop into that back line. We could see some really sort of strange sort of situations where Liverpool just almost make up the numbers with. A few different random players, and we could have five or six central midfielders on the pitch at any given time. But do you think you'd still be confident in Liverpool to to get the job done, even if that was the case between now and January?
0: I think so. Um, if you look back to the City game ahead of it, I was in the camp of playing all four forwards. I just thought, you know, go go with the four two three one, give it a go and see what happens. And I think the fact that Klopp did that. Partly it is, obviously, as you say, because of it, wider injury situations and gaps in the squad. It, it was out of necessity to a certain extent, I think. Uh, you know, if, if Thiago had been fit, would it have been a 4-3-3? Perhaps. You know, there's, there's no doubt about that. But I think the fact that Liverpool went to City and in that first half hour played that well in a, in a system that's you know, relatively novel. I know they've, they've done it in previous seasons, like when Fabinho first came to bed him in. There was a, there was a period, wasn't there, where 4-2-3-1 was, was used. But yeah, I think it, I think things like that won't be won't be a one-off, and you could spin this potentially as a positive because one thing the opposition's always got to do now is is work out how Liverpool are going to set up, and you know you've seen several different things, haven't you? there was the four-two-three-one against Sheffield United, four-three-three is the staple, isn't it? We all know how devastating that can be, but even within that now you've got the option of what the Reds did away to uh, Atalanta and played that front three, which with with Jota. Mane and Salah is a bit of a different beast to whether Firmino's in there as well, um, and then you've got this. What happened at City? Where it was it looked to me like a bit of a four-two-three-one, but then there was elements of four-four-two in it, certainly when they were kind of in more of a defensive shape and out of possession. So yeah, I think to an extent it adds to the element of surprise a little bit for Liverpool. Um, Trent's injury, though, I think that is is a is a particularly bad one. The only positive I can see on that is that it's happened now and that there is the international break, which is a bit of a buffer. And, you know, that essentially eats up two weeks of his recovery. You know, it's not great for his preparation time and there are a couple of big games coming up in, in terms of Leicester and Atalanta where Liverpool really do need to get results. But what worries me there is is Robertson's situation really, because um we've been writing a little bit about him this morning on the site and obviously after what happened last night with Scotland, which was fantastic and a I'm sure every single member of the Liverpool squad and staff will be delighted for Robertson. But in this international break, he's got he's got that game, obviously, which is now out the way. But Scotland have got two other Nations League games which are away from home. I think it might be Slovakia and Israel on Sunday and Wednesday. Um and, and I do worry that Liverpool could have a situation where they've got one center, what sorry, one fullback injured and the other one really, really up against it in terms of his minutes. That's that's my concern because I think we Had a piece earlier in the week about how much Robertson's played so far this season, and I think it's for Liverpool alone just this term, he's knocking on for 1100 minutes, which is more than any other teammate. Uh, so yeah, I think Liverpool have to be cute about that. I think Simicash is going to be one that has to come back in and, and have a go at left back, but yeah, there's in terms of you know directly replacing Trent, you've got Milner as the option, haven't you? You've got Nico Williams as the option, um, and I think. Once Leicester's out the way, that that's a big one. You know, obviously it's the top of the table clash, isn't it? As as things stand now, Atalanta's big, but I think as that first game showed, you know, that you can get at them. They've got to come and attack, kind of even more than they did at their place because of the, the way the group is now and the big advantage Liverpool have in the Champions League. So I think the the bold approach, if what does persist with it, it, could well work there again. And then I think things calm down a little bit. So, you know, when the rotation and the managing of game time has to come in, things aren't so bad for the next few weeks up to, say, Spurs, which is, I think, in the middle of December. You know, four of the next five games are at home, which which is an advantage for Liverpool, even in the current climate. Um, And whilst the games do come thick and fast, it's not that far away till January now. So, yeah, hopefully a a few people could come back. I think Thiago, again, you know, the flashes we've seen of him look like he's going to settle straight away. I think when he comes back into the team, he will help, in a sense, with the whole injury issue, just by virtue of the fact that he's he's so masterful of keeping hold of the ball. Uh, and it almost goes back to that whole Brendan Rodgers thing of, of being able to rest with the ball. And I, I do think that that could become a key plank of Liverpool's strategy in these weeks when you know the, the the games really come thick and fast and start to bite. But if they can hang on to the ball a little bit, not be troubled at the back when they're going to be playing some pretty crazy uh, defensive lineups, as you said before, but also probe and and get the goals up front. I think they'll come through okay. And then, uh, obviously, it's all eyes to January, as we
1: said, in terms of whether they do bring in a new recruit. Yeah, Liverpool very much in a good position, but it's just the case, really, of getting through to January, as you say. I mean, Gusty, just in terms of Trent's injury, is it almost a a relief that it's only four weeks for him? Because we saw last season, Alisson had a calf injury. He was out for much longer if that had been the case for Trent, he would have missed you know, so many matches because there's just so many matches to play at this time.
2: I think so, yeah. And I think it came at the probably the ideal times rather than in terms of the international rate coming up. Liverpool, if he was going to get injured with, with a calf injury for four weeks, then I suppose Liverpool would have preferred it to have been in the 90th minute rather than the, the 55th or whatever it was at City. But yeah, so uh, half of that kind of injury timeout will be uh, Joining into Aston week so that's a good thing. And hopefully, he's uh, he's a little bit like Allison and Van Dijk, where he he's um, coming back a little bit earlier than what um, what is projected. So uh, four weeks, I was told earlier this week, is probably the accurate timescale for that. But um, hopefully, he's back uh, maybe maybe a week or ten days earlier because he's uh, he's only young and, and he hasn't had too many injuries as he to be fair to him.
1: And just in terms then of, of options that Liverpool have, I'll, I'll stick with you, Ghosty, if I can. And obviously, Kostas Dimitras, we've not seen too much of him. Nico Williams was one that we thought would play a big role this season. Do you think it's a big opportunity for those two players in particular to come in and, and get some real game time now?
2: Yeah, that's, I think it has to be considered that, doesn't it? I mean, I, I don't think Klopp will start playing people out of position in terms of if Nico Williams is fit and Trent isn't, then Nico Williams will play. Um, I don't think it's going to be a situation where Milner's going to be filling in when Nico Williams is on the bench. I think he's just he'll trust them and, and give him a go. So it's a big opportunity for him. I think with Jim McCash, he might just be kind of leaned on when Robertson might need taken out of the final line just to avoid a similar situation with Trent. So, um, yeah, I suppose over the next three or four weeks, it's going to be a big couple of weeks for, for those two, and particularly Williams, who, um, who as I say, is... He's kind of still learning the ropes, isn't he? And, and Simakash, we haven't seen too much
1: of him, to be fair. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, Sean, isn't it, when Jurgen Klopp has his first press conference after the international break, because he has you know, come out and said plenty of times there's too many matches. you know, In these times of COVID, it's a shorter season. We're playing more matches, more international friendlies. It all has got a bit silly of late. And Dan Lovren, another one to come out this week and suggest a, a similar sort of thing, really. It's, it's going to be interesting to see what Klopp has to say on it.
0: Yeah, and, and going back to what we said before about Southgate, I think the fact that the England managers chimed in with, with similar comments um, is, is a big thing. And, you know, it backs up Klopp's case and Guardiola's case, of course, because, you know, we saw straight away, didn't we, right after the final whistle of that game between City and Liverpool, that two managers had a chat on the touchline. Guardiola came out later on and said that was all about five subs and fixed the congestion. Both managers mentioned it in their post-match press conferences. Guardiola said what a shame it was that Trent was injured. Um, you know, which which is quite interesting that he's, he's using an opposition player as an example. Um, I, I do think with all this, and specifically on the subs thing, it, it, the whole kind of debate on it is 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 almost a little bit too narrow because I understand the Premier League argument that you know the is it more advantageous to the big teams who've got the bigger squads, and you know the, the, there is perhaps merit in that despite the fact that you know everyone's got a twenty-five man squad, haven't they? That they've registered, but. I, what I think is, is helpful perhaps for Klopp and, and others arguing for changes in the Premier League is the fact that Southgate's come out and said stuff as well because it, it isn't just about domestic football. I think that's one thing that does get lost a little bit. It's, it is about internationals as well. It's about players being available for whatever international games get fitted in and, and ultimately being available for, for the Euros next summer. I mean, you know, again, whether you can attribute Gomez's injury to congestion is is perhaps a moot point, but looking at an England defender now who perhaps won't be available for the Euros or if he does return which we do hope he will he, will, he might not be in peak fitness for it if he's, if he's having to recover and play catch up a little bit so it, it affects clubs there I think as well one thing that is is unfair and, and is a big part of the argument is is the European disparity you know I think um in I think I'm right in saying in Spain and Germany that they, they've stuck to the five subs thing this season so you've got teams there who let's say in the knockout stages of the Champions League Bayern Munich are playing Chelsea, you know, but buying either side of it can make more changes than, than the, the English side can, which I think is, you know, ultimately the health of the teams in Europe from your country is, is beneficial for, for a wider pool of teams than just the teams in it that season for things like coefficients and stuff like that and just, you know, prestige in general. So, yeah, I, I think it's, you know, we, we have seen some kind of narrow and self-interested arguments take hold in football in recent months, haven't we? If you think back to Project Restart and those calling for null and void, you, you could perhaps make the same argument about elements of Project Big Picture. You know, I personally think that was something that hopefully it starts a debate and, and is more of a, a starting point than a than a finished product. And I think, you know, that from what's been said by Rick Parry and others, that that appears to be more the case. But again, obviously there is elements of that which people would say were, were a power grab and self-interest there. But yeah, I, I I think it all comes back to Southgate's point of the shame of this season, certainly of the opening months is conversations weren't a bit more joined up um, and and there wasn't a bit more kind of honest reflection that, that looked a little bit beyond individual teams and individual leagues. But yeah, ho- hopefully, hopefully all is not lost there and there could still be a, a bit of sense and a few changes made
1: as we go into the second half of the season. Yeah, as you say, lots of players, lots of managers, including Southgate, Guardiola, Klopp, they've all come out and said similar things. I think everyone is on the same page to an extent. It's just bringing that all together, isn't it? And hopefully something can be done. But, the in terms of some more positive news, Liverpool next week will be returning or moving to their Kirby AXA training centre for the first time. A couple of players have been in there who are not on international duty already, but They'll all be moving in. They'll all be having their first team training session there. Is it on Tuesday?
2: I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, big day for the club, really. When you think of um, the history and heritage of Melwood, seventy years as the club's in, uh, iconic training ground, one of the probably one of the most famous training grounds in world football, really, isn't it? Um, but um, you're going to move the time. So with the brand new fifty million pound um, AXA training centre as its shell. Hence been on um, open to doors. so it's going to be exciting to kind of see uh, see the pictures of it Um I don't know when we're going to be allowed to go up there sadly but um looking forward to, to getting back to normal and, and going up there for Friday to, to speak to Jürgen Klopp and um, seeing what it's all about. I did have a chance to have a look around it last year Um you could see it was taking shape but there was still so much building work to do I think it was actually November last year so um, would have been done over the summer but I think construction stopped in in March and resumed in May, and uh, Liverpool were in no rush to kind of push forward the move because um, essentially they had Melwood for the rest of the year. So um, it's going to be it's going to be a, a new era for Liverpool, but one that um, is is an exciting one, no question.
1: It's really interesting as well, isn't it, Sean? That they've chosen to move during this international break. I wondered whether they might just stay at Melwood for the season and, and change over in the summer. But it seems Jurgen Klopp was really keen to to make this move as quickly as possible.
2: Yeah, yeah,
0: I suppose that that is quite an interesting one. But I, I guess it's just you know all, all the reasons that they've chosen to make this move and all the advantages they think it will bring. But why not if you can get get them started as soon as possible? Because it was meant to be last summer, wasn't it? But obviously had to be put back because of the coronavirus pandemic and delays that that has wrought. But yeah, I, I think in a way that this this season so far and how it's panned out with the injuries kind of shows why they want to do this straight away because all the academy lads who you've seen break into the first team picture, well, part, partly because of injuries but also because of just their own talent, you know, people like Reese Williams and uh, Nico Williams, obviously, you know, Trent's the shining example, isn't he, of, of, a, of an academy product who's, who's a first teamer now. But We've seen quite a bit of them, and, and that's the big thing, isn't it, about this, this whole K B move. It's that those two strands of the club are going to be united in one place. You'll have, you know, pitches and set-ups and canteens and changing rooms and that that aren't far away from each other. Everything will be that little bit more connected and easier for staff who kind of bridge those two divides to to take a look at things and, and work things out. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's great. And and as as we always say about this, you know, like Gorsley said, Melwood is a, it's a hallowed place, it's a kind of storied institution of fabric in Liverpool's history. But it's the people, isn't it, really, that, that makes it. So if they're getting all those over to Kirby straight away, um, then, you know, hopefully Liverpool can just hit the ground running there. And, um, yeah, start getting a few players back from injury and, and prepare for this rest of the season.
2: Yeah, uh, Sean makes a good point there about the fact that everyone's kind of going to be working on the same base, the chance to... Peter bills managing director, Andy Hughes, on Tuesday. And, and that was one of the things he kind of relayed to me, the fact that it's it's never been an ideal situation, really, having the, the different bases. And someone like Vita Matos, who, who works, you know, quite often between both, he's having to scurry across from Kirby to Melwood, Kirby to Melwood. Just not an ideal situation. And it's something that's been on the radar long before Klopp. Uh, Brendan Rodgers was one of the first ones to kind of begin those initial discussions with uh, whoever was at the club at the time and it's something that Liverpool have been pushing for for years so uh taking the best part of seven years for it to come to fruition but uh, I think it's going to lead to uh, to a bright new future.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's all we've got time for today. But uh, obviously that move from Melwood over to Kirby, some exciting news to look forward to next week. Plenty more content across Blood Red as well to come over the weekend. On Saturday, we've got a special Diogo Jota podcast to come out. And then on Sunday, the lowdown on Harvey Elliott's time at Blackburn Rovers so far. For now, though, from myself, Matt Addison, from Paul Gorst and from Sean Bradbury. Until next time here on the Blood Red channel, thank you for watching and goodbye for now.